Every one of those dots is a church, but they're just buildings. When did church become synonymous with buildings instead of people? When did church become something we go to, worship in, and then leave? Take away every church building in the world and the church will remain unchanged. Church is people. We see church every day, everywhere, and don't even know it. We see it in unexpected acts of kindness, in small moments of service and love. We see church in welcoming smiles, but also in grimaces of pain, burdens that are borne by friends. The real church is rarely flashy or eye-catching. What if we saw a church for what it is? What if we dreamt about the kind of church that we could be together? Let's talk about the church that we want to be, the church that God is calling us to be. When I look at us, I see past the buildings. I see a church. Good morning. It's great to see everybody. Welcome to Seacoast Church this weekend. My name is Josh Surratt. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are excited that you're here. Uh, we're excited to welcome all of you that are joining us on the internet or maybe at one of our campuses. We're glad to have you with us as well. I especially want to give a shout out to our West Campus. I was thinking about West Ashley Campus this week. You know, a month ago, we planted a new campus, uh, our Sea Island Campus, which is out, meets out on Johns Island. And uh, thinking about that, that is the second campus that's been birthed out of our West Campus. So not only are you guys making a huge impact in West Ashley, you've planted a James Island ca Campus, now you've planted a Sea Island Campus. You guys are much like my family. You like to have babies, and I love that about you guys at the West Campus. Uh, we're proud of you. Also, want to shout out to Jim Fleming as our campus pastor in Manning, and it's your birthday. Uh, and so we're excited for you. Happy birthday, Jim. Uh, but, but we're in the middle of a series right now called I See a Church. So if you're new to Seacoast, come and checking it out for the first time. This is a great chance for you to be here because we're just talking about what kind of church do we want to be? Uh, what, what kind of church do we see what, that God has gifted us and placed us here in Charleston and the city that your campus is in? Uh, what kind of expression of God's love do we want to be in? So we've talked for the last few weeks about our values and some of the habits that go with those values. The first one that Pastor Greg talked about was that we want to be a church that's marked by the power and the presence of God. In other words, there are some things that happen that are beyond our uh, ability and beyond our ability to explain. God just shows up and does an incredible thing and he marks us. And, and a habit that goes with that value is that we simply show up to church consistently. We put ourselves in an environment where we're going to hear from God. Obviously, you can hear from God and we're marked by his power and presence in a lot of other ways as well. But one baseline habit that each of us could adhere to is just to, to make it a habit to be in church. We, the second value we talked about is that we see a church that grows smaller as it grows larger. In other words, we don't want to be a church that's known for our buildings. We want to be a church that's known for the relationships that we have with the people in it. And, and a habit that each of us can take on if we, if we want to see that happen in our lives is that we would just be a part of a small group. Make it a part of our rhythm that we connect with other people in the church through small group. And uh, in this series, we've done a a small group curriculum, we asked a lot of you, and a lot of you have jumped in and been a part of a small group, which has been great. We asked you to be a part for six weeks. Uh, this is the time during the series that we let you know that was a bait and switch technique. So uh, our hope for you, for all of us, is that we would 
so love the community that we've been, begun to experience in our small groups that we would begin to have some conversations about continuing to meet as a group. And, and the rhythm may need to change some, and you may need to share some of the responsibilities within your group, but I would encourage you, if you're in a group, why don't you have a conversation this week about what is it gonna look like when the series is over? Are we gonna continue to meet? And if we are, what do we need to do? What arrangements do we need to make to, to make that happen? And we've got curriculum at all of our campuses that if you need something else to go through, we'd love to give it and put it in your hands. The, the third value that we talked about is that we see a church that's built on the sacrifices of a lot of people, not just the gifts of a few people, that we all are in it together. We're a part of a big team, and the habit is that we would just make it a habit to serve, either to be a part of a dream team at our campus, at our church, or serve in the community, or serve in the world. And if we'll make a habit of serving other people, then ultimately the service and sacrifice will be cultivated within us and in our hearts. So... This is uh, the fourth value this week, and I'm excited to get the opportunity to talk to you about it because it's one that I, I love, uh, love this idea, and it's that, that we, we see a church, we want to be a church that cares as much about those who will be as those who already are, and that's the first blank on your outline sheet. We want to be a church that cares as much about those who will be as those who already are. Would you pray with me as we get started? God, I thank you so much, Lord, that... Uh, We've got such a great group of people that we, we gather together that uh, is called Seacoast Church. And I thank you, Lord, that especially this week when we talk about being a church that cares about people who will be as much as those who already are, God, I don't think there's anything else that more reflects your heart. Uh, you came to seek and to save the lost, God. You talked about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And we know that you are so in tune with people who are, are, are not yet in relationship with you. So help us, Lord, as we talk to you today. Uh, help us to cultivate a heart that we would be a church that, that shares that same value. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you heard the story, but when we planted Seacoast uh, over 26 years ago, one of the very first things that we did with our core team uh, is we said, hey, come together. We're going to turn this little meeting space that we have into a call center, and we're going to call 16,000 names out of the phone book, and, and you guys get to be a part of the call team. How many of you know you had to be really committed to be a part of the team early on? Uh, kind of an obnoxious way to plant a church. But, so we, we call 16,000 people and we ask them two questions. The first one was this, do you go to church? And we asked that question because we planted in, in Charleston, it's the holy city, right? I mean, it's known for its churches and we didn't want to be a church that would just draw people from other churches. So if they answered, yes, we go to church, we said, hey, thank you so much for your time. Get back to your dinner with your family uh, and keep going to your church. But if they said no, we asked the follow-up question. And it was simply, why not? Uh, we said, well, we, we aren't trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to convince you of anything. We just want to learn from you. Why don't you go to church? And the reason is that from the very beginning, one of the values of Seacoast Church is we didn't want to come start a church for church people. We wanted to come start a church for people that didn't normally go to church. And the answers to those second, that second question shape the way that we started and it's continued to shape every single weekend to this day. We want to think about people who aren't yet here uh, as well as those who already are. You know, the first three values that we talked about really focus around the, the church family, you know, that we're in a small group, that we experience God's presence. And this one is where we really start thinking about the people who aren't here yet. We want to be a church that cares about people who will be as much as those who already are. What's the habit that goes along with that? The habit is that if we're going to be a church that really does that, that embodies it, thinks about those people, we're going to have to be a people that develop a habit of talking to other people about our faith, talking to other people about our faith. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, all right, all right, 
dude. Uh, I can handle uh, coming to church. I like that, get something out of that. And I can even buy into being a part of a small group. And I could even get excited about serving and kind of developing a heart of service. I see the good in that. But you, you want me to talk about my faith, like become a, an evangelist, like a salesman for Jesus? In the words of the great theologian Meatloaf, and I, I would do, do anything come on, sing it with me. for love, but I won't do that. Come on, I'm not doing that. Like, there is a line that we are not going to cross. You know, you, you start talking about, talking about my faith, like, let's be real, a lot of us struggle with that idea. A lot of us, I mean, how do you do it? How do you, what do you mean talk to somebody? I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. And would you agree with me that uh, the, the word evangelism, that's kind of the root word, it's in the Bible, um, and it simply means uh, a person who shares good news is really the, the baseline definition. But would you agree with me that that word has some baggage with it? Uh, I mean, it, just through the years and, and, and ministry, I, I put down on your outline sheet a couple of uh, thoughts that I had, just some problems with evangelism some baggage that we have with it. Number one, a lot of us, we just struggle to explain our faith. We, we struggle to explain it, right? I mean, like, so I'm gonna go talk to somebody about my faith. What if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Or, or, or what if I explain it wrong? What, what if I don't get all the details right? I, I just, ugh, I struggle with that. I don't know if I wanna do it. I was thinking about that, and I was reminded of my first Clemson football game. People ask me, so your dad's a Carolina fan and you're a Clemson, how did that happen? Well, there's a lot of things about my childhood that, uh, yeah, you don't want to know. No, I'm just kidding. It was actually pretty good. But, um, but I, I was a high school student, and my buddy, John Blitch, friend of mine, was, I mean, they were diehard Clemson people. They wore, uh, you know, Clemson clothes. They had the bumper stickers. They had the Ipte, which I still don't totally get, but they pay 10-something a year. I don't know what that means. But, but they were all in, you know, into this culture. And he invited me to go up to a game on a weekend. So I went up to... Uh, Clemson, Death Valley, and, and they had like premium tailgating spots. So we got right up to the stadium and, and they popped out, you know, this tent that was like state-of-the-art, had these flat screen TVs in it, great sound system, and popped up these grills that I, they somehow were in the car. I didn't even know that, where they had room for them, but they pop up these grills that are better than anything I've ever experienced before and cooking up food. And if you've ever tailgated, you know, it's just, it's crazy. Like people walk up that you've never met before and they're like picking off of your food and talking and it's just cool. You're just, you're enjoying it. You're hanging out and you're playing touch football in the parking lot and you, know, you got cornhole and it's just an awesome environment, a great experience. And so then we go into the game, it's homecoming weekend and we go into the game and they're playing Wake Forest. I had a, a guy that played football for Wake Forest, was in the last service. He said, I don't believe that. And the truth is, Clemson destroyed them. Uh, it was an awesome, awesome game. He may have been playing in that game. So Brian Wolverton, sorry about that if that was you. But anyways, um, sit on the, we sit on the hill. If you know anything about Death Valley, they've got this hill and every, the, the players run in and it's just an electric atmosphere. The cheerleaders are, you know, leading us in these crazy cheers and Clemson won big. And I mean, it was just, it was captivating. It was an experience. And I came home that weekend, a Clemson fan. It just, it just kind of happened. I had an experience. No one needed to explain anything to me. I didn't need to be told about the history and the origin of the university and, you know, the academic standards and who's leading it. I didn't even need to know what their lifetime record was against the University of South Carolina, uh, which is 65, 42, and 4, if you were wondering. I don't know if, I know, five years in a row. I get it. 
But here's the reality. I didn't need anybody to explain anything to me. I had experienced something, and, and I became a fan. And, and I, I know if you're a Gamecock fan, I've got friends here. You guys know. I mean, you got williams Bryce Stadium in 2001 and the Cockabooses. And the, it's, just, it's the same thing. We just, it's electric. It's a crazy, awesome atmosphere. No one needs to explain that or convince you or coerce you. And, and no one can talk you out of that once you're, once you're infected with, with, with being a fan of a team. And, you know, when I think about our faith, uh, it's very similar uh, experience that many of us had. You know, maybe you started coming to church and uh, it may not have happened right away. Maybe at first you're like, oh, it's cool. I like the music or I like, you know, the children's ministry or the teaching. But at some point along the way, God got a hold of your heart. God, God gripped you and something happened. You experienced forgiveness and you experienced peace like you had never experienced. And, and, and all of a sudden you had had an experience uh, with Jesus. And, and it, we don't need to always explain it. I mean, sometimes, obviously, as we're learning, we're asking questions, we need to understand it more. But that experience with Christ is what captivates you. And, and so we get hung up because we just, we can't explain our faith. A second thing is some of us are just, we're embarrassed by the church. I mean, it's a problem uh, if dating back to the Crusades and even prior to that and uh, even now, how many of you agree church is led by imperfect people sometimes, and there have been stories and scandals and all this stuff, and we're like, oh, I just don't know if I want to associate with that, and, you know, talk about my faith and, and, and be kind of connected to that. Some of us, it's, it's not that we can't explain or that we're embarrassed. Some of us have been a part of failed attempts, evangelism attempts. You know, uh, maybe somebody tried to convince or coerce you into making a decision that you weren't ready for. Maybe you've been on the other side of it. You've tried to share your faith and it just didn't go very well. I was in Nicaragua one year uh, doing a mission trip and we were doing medical stuff and it was cool. Had a team doing medicine and team doing children's ministry. And then there were a few of us. We like to think of ourselves as the Green Berets. We would go door to door. We were like hardcore door to door evangelists. And we studied, have you guys ever heard of evangelism explosion was like a curriculum that they would teach you how to share your faith door to door. And so we're fired up, we're ready to go. And we show up to this uh, family's home and they were very nice, speaking through a translator, uh, welcoming, hey, come on in. Before you share uh, with us, we, we just wanna, we, we wanna offer you a token of, of our thanks for you being here. And, and the guy went into the backyard and he began to milk a goat in the backyard. And, and he comes up to this with this tall glass of warm, uh, freshly squeezed, if you will, goat milk. He's like, thank you for being here. So we're holding it and like you can feel the warmth through the glass and I'm like, now I know it's cool to be organic and we're all into that, uh, but if I'm drinking milk, it better come out of a, a container, a carton that's been in a refrigerator and I don't care what chemicals you put in it, as long as I'm not staring into the eyes of the creature that just produced the milk. It was just awkward. And so I turned to the, turned to the missionary, I'm like, dude, I can't drink this. And he says, you have to drink that. I'm like, why? He said, if you want a chance to share your faith with these people, you need to, you know, it's, it would be very disrespectful not to drink this milk. And I was like, I cannot drink this milk. I'm telling you right now, what's going to happen after I drink this milk is going to be more offensive than me not drinking this milk. So I turned to Lisa. She was with me on this trip and said, will you drink? And she said, I'm not touching your milk. You know, this is not... So it just didn't go well. You know, it was a failed attempt. It was like, man, if this is what it takes to, to evangelize, I'm out. You know, I can't do this. For some of us, um, maybe we just underestimate our role. You know, we just, we underestimate our role. It's a problem with evangelism. We think, you know, I'll come to church. That's fine. I'll do that. But, but when it comes to explaining that or talking about my faith, that's for professionals. That's not my job. Yeah, and, and I want to do a little experiment here and at all of our campuses. Um, I want you to think about 
Everybody who's here, think about the first time you ever walked into the doors of, of this church, of Seacoast. Just think about it. Some of you, that's right now, so you don't have to think very far back. And by the way, if, if you're here and, and you're here for the first time, you just need to know uh, that not only are you welcome here, but, but we really did think about you uh, when, we, when we came up with the idea of Seacoast, and, and we're really glad that you're here. But think about your very first time, and here's my question by show of hands. Uh, how many of you would say, at least in some part, the reason that you came for the first time was that somebody either invited you or told you about Seacoast? Just by show of hands. All right, look around. Don't underestimate your role. You know, it's, it's not Greg uh, Surat, it's not the worship team that brings people in. It's, it's an invitation of a friend. We underestimate our role. We uh, ask this question all the time as people are getting connected here at Seacoast. How'd you hear about the church? And it's almost always someone told me about it. I was in the foyer last night uh, talking to some guys who've been here for a long time. And one of them, I was talking to one of them, and another, another guy came up and put his hand on the shoulder and said, hey, thank you uh, for inviting me to Seacoast. You're the guy that told me about it. And that's just a story that happens over and over. How many of you ever are just really angry at the person who invited you to church? You know, it was a bad, no, it was a, it was a good experience. Uh, a fifth reason that we have a problem with evangelism, we just, we just aren't sure where to start. It feels very complicated. I don't know how to get into it. You know, what, what's up with that? Well, here's what I want to do with the time that we have left. What if we just went back to the roots and really tried to simplify this idea of caring about people who will be as much as those who already are. Uh, my family was on vacation two weeks ago, a staycation, but we had a house that we all stayed in, 14 uh, of the Surratt grandkids in the same home. It was not always pleasant, but it was all right. Um, and we were getting ready for dinner one night, and my son, Miles, he's seven, he walks into the kitchen, and there's a big tray or plate of ground beef that was thawing out, and he goes, Mom, what, what is that? And she said, it, it's ground beef. And he said, really, what, what's that for? And she said, well, we're having beef burritos tonight. He goes, what? Mom, that's the greatest news I've ever heard in my life. How could you keep such an incredible secret? Beef burritos? I don't know if you guys get as excited about beef burritos as we do in our home, but it's a big deal. He thought it was, he was like, how could you keep this secret from me? And, and I wonder if sharing our faith is, I hope we've experienced something better than beef burritos. Uh, for, for many of us, we've had an, an encounter with Jesus that has changed our life. We've got peace. We've got uh, forgiveness. We've got just everything about our lives have been changed. And I wonder if there are some people around us that if we would just kind of talk about it, maybe invite them to come to church with us or have a conversation, they wouldn't go, dude, why did you keep, why'd you keep that a secret? This is great news. This is awesome. You, you, you should have told me earlier. So let's look at it. I, the, 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 one of the first examples uh, that I can think of anyways in the Bible is in John chapter 1, uh, verse 45 and 46. And here's what had happened. Jesus is just getting started. He had been down in uh, Judea and he traveled up from Judea to Galilee. And he had a couple people that came with him. And one of them was a guy named Philip. And somewhere on this journey with Jesus, about a six hour, uh, I'm sorry, six, yeah, six hour-ish walk, um, Philip has this encounter and this experience with Jesus and his life has changed, his eyes are open and he's like, man, this is the Messiah. And, and so what happens in this verse that we're gonna read is he goes back to a friend, Nathaniel, and he says, dude, I, I wanna tell you about this guy and, and let's see what we can learn about evangelism just from this small passage of scripture. It says, Philip went and found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote of in the law 
the one preached by the prophets. It's Jesus, Joseph's son, the one from Nazareth. So he, he gives his best explanation, right? He says, hey, I, I, I think we found the Messiah. Well, it doesn't go very well. Uh, Nathaniel says, Nazareth? You've got to be kidding me. In other words, what good has ever come from Nazareth? It's like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not buying this. I mean, I'm not sure what you're doing. So I imagine there's a little bit of a pause, and Philip's like, all right, well, uh, what do we do next? And, and what he says next, really short sentence, but very profound. And it's really the heart of what I want us to talk about. But Philip said, come and see for yourself. Just, just come and see for yourself. See, here's the reality about our faith. No one in this room has the power to change anybody's life. It's not our job to coerce somebody into a decision. It's not our job to convert anybody. It's not our job to convince anybody or even to fully explain anything. That's what God, God is the one that can draw people to himself. Our role, as we see with Philip, is very simply to go, hey, I've experienced something. Why don't you, co- why don't you come check it out? Why don't you come check it out for yourself? And I want to give you just a couple principles as we kind of dumb it down and simplify this idea so that we can be a church that cares about those who will be. If I want to be the kind that's going to do that, first thing I need to do is be nice. Be ni- I know that's profound. I know it's crazy. But just be nice. Look at Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Notice he says, gracious and attractive. Let, let your conversation be, be nice, be kind. You know, if, if you can't be nice, please don't share your faith. Please, just don't. You know, if, 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 if you're going to be a jerk, then try living out your faith a little bit before we start talking about it to other people. You know, at least don't tell them about him to Seacoast. Maybe go to somewhere else, but no, no, don't do it at all. Just don't. You know, what if we just serve people until they ask us why? What if that was kind of a fundamental baseline? I'm going to be kind. To who? To the people that serve you at a restaurant, to the people that you work with, to your family, to other believers, to people who your kids go to school with and their family. And just, just let's start. Baseline. I know this is life-changing stuff, but be nice. Second thought, kind of about the how, is be natural. Be natural. AKA, don't act weird, okay? Just don't act weird. Have you ever noticed when we start talking about our faith, we kind of just get weirded out about it? Like, I was thinking about this Sky Zone. Uh, If you're here in Charleston, Sky Zone is a trampoline, indoor trampoline park that's kind of right around the corner from our church. And it's incredible. And it opened up earlier this year, and there was a season where I couldn't go a day without someone telling me about Sky Zone. Have you been to Sky Zone? You got to check it out. And so we ended up actually, Pastor Josh Walters, our campus pastor here, we had a birthday party, not for his kids, but for him at Sky Zone. It's like, dude, this place is incredible. Like, I would talk to people about, have you been to this place? It's awesome. I went to Sky Zone four times before I ever brought my kids to Sky Zone with me. It is so cool. And it's very natural and normal for me to talk about it. We're good at talking about things that we like. Some of you have been to a restaurant and you just, uh, you're going to talk to other people about it. Have you had this food or that food? And we, it just comes very natural to us. There was a couple pastors in town this week uh, that did our marriage conference. And I find myself in the, the green room back there just showing them pictures of my kids. I want to show you, you know, why? Because I love them and it, they're, they're a, a pretty cool part of my life. And it was very natural for me to talk to them about them. But for some reason, we start talking about our faith and we just start getting weird. It's like, how you doing, man? I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored in spite of myself. Do you know Jesus? It's like, who talks like that? 
Like, why, why does it have to be so, just be natural. Be yourself. Notice it says, let your conversation. That kind of implies that we're just kind of talking about stuff. We can, we can just be natural. So be nice, be natural. And then the third thing that I want to share with you is more about maybe turning the corner and thinking about who, who maybe is God uh, placed in my life that, that I'm supposed to maybe uh, have on my radar or be thinking about uh, as someone I might be able to talk to my faith about or, or invite to church with me. And that is this, just be aware, be aware. If we'll be a people that we're, we're, we're kind, we're nice, we're, we just be ourselves, you don't have to speak a language that you don't normally speak, and then let's just pay attention. Let's be aware. I listened to a sermon that a buddy of mine, his name's Clay Scroggins in uh, the Atlanta area, North Point Church, uh, preached several months ago, and he used a, a metaphor that I loved, and I called him and said, hey, can I, can I steal that? I want to I share that with Seacoast. He said, go for it. Uh, but he, he talked about the fact that if, if you want to know the who's, who to invite, uh, pay attention to the cues. Uh, and so I know it's a little bit cheesy, it, it rhymes, but, and, and he, he had this string. So I want to talk to you about three cues, just that as we notice these things about people that we're, we're interacting with or that we, we connect with that are not believers, uh, there's some cues that they may be open to a conversation. They may be the, the kind of person that God has put in our lives uh, for a reason, on purpose. And the first cue, and I want you to pull, there's a string uh, that you got in your chair. Some of you are sitting on it, but just pull it out. Um, and as, as I talk about each of these cues, I want you to, to tie a knot in the string. So the first one is this. If you'll just tie a knot in your string, it's not going well. There, there are some people in our lives that things just are not going well for them. That very simply, there are some circumstances that are going on in their life and, and they're struggling with some, some area of their life. And Jesus uh, modeled each of these three cues. I'm gonna kind of use uh, a story of him connecting with a, a woman at a well. Some of you are familiar with the story. It's in John chapter four. And the first one is that things just weren't going well for this woman. Look at, uh, look at the scripture, John four, verses four through seven. He had to go through Samaria on the way to where he's going. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the, bed, the well around noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Notice how natural that was. He didn't like open up with the, he just, hey, can I have a drink of water? But there's something that you and I, as we read that, we would probably miss, uh, not really notice, that would have been very obvious to Jesus. Because in Jewish culture, when you, there, there was a certain time of day, two really, but mainly one at, in the evening, right before sun went down, that people would go to the well. They would get enough water that they needed for the next day, and then they would uh, come back the, the following evening to get water for the next day. And so the fact that it was noontime and a, a woman showed up to the well was an immediate cue for Jesus that something's not, something's not right here. Uh, maybe it's just that she's out of water and maybe they spilled water. Maybe there, there was an accident, but she's here to get water. Or, which happens to be the case in her story that we'll find out, maybe she just, she, she didn't want to be around anybody. She didn't want to go to the well in the evening when everybody else was hanging out at the well because there was some stuff going on in her life that she was embarrassed about, uh, that she was struggling with, and things just weren't going well for her. And Jesus paid attention to the cue. So who's in your life right now? that things aren't going well for them. Could be anything, it could be health problems, could be a job loss, maybe they've got kids that are struggling with something. You know, there are all kinds of things that could be going on that, that things just aren't going well for them. I've learned to kind of pay attention to certain phrases 
uh, when I'm talking to people. Maybe it's something like, yeah, things have been better, uh, or it's been a kind of a, a rough week, and just very simple, small things that are just, huh, I wonder if things just aren't going well. Lisa and I were talking about this uh, this week, kind of thinking about this message, and immediately somebody came to mind that, that has worked with uh, her in the past, and, and they've reached out, needed some help with medical stuff, and it was like, oh, there, God's, God's at work in this person's life. We need to pay attention to that cue. There's probably another role that we're supposed to play for them. So here's what I want you to do. If somebody comes to your mind, as we've kind of talked about that, maybe just jot their name down and, on your outline sheet or in your Bible or initials or whatever it is. Just maybe, maybe that's somebody that God has strategically placed you near them because he's at work in their life. Remember, he's the one that changes people's lives. It's not you. We just have to pay attention to the cues. A second cue, if you pull your string back out, tie another knot. And this is just uh, people that are not settled. People that are not settled. What, what do I mean by that? People who may be in transition, uh, maybe they don't feel very prepared for the next season of life that they're going into, just not settled. It could be a physical transition, it could be a emotional or anxiety or that kind of thing, but they're just not settled. There's stuff going on that, that, that they're just not settled. And this was definitely the case with this woman. Uh, if you look at the story, it uh, continues, Jesus says, uh, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Now, this is where I would encourage you maybe not to follow Jesus' example perfectly. Uh, he was a son of God. He had some information at hand. But what he knew about her is she was not only in the middle of a divorce, she'd been through divorce several times. She was with another guy, and relationally, she was very unsettled. She, she was in a season of, of transition, and, and he identified that, and he noticed that as a cue in her life. And, and, and some of us, we know somebody who's not settled. They're in transition. Maybe they just started college or just started high school or middle school. Maybe they just got engaged or got married or got divorced or you maybe just had kids. I can tell you as someone who's had a few of those, that, that can unsettle, it can, it can take away your feeling of being settled for sure. Maybe they have kids that are going to school or kids that are moving out of the house and going into a new season of empty nests and just unsettled a little bit in that area of their life. Maybe they've recently moved to a new city, started a new job. Could be a cue that, that God is at work in their lives. You know, I hear over and over again here when I ask people who told you about Seacoast, a lot of times their realtor told them. And it's a strategic place. If, you're, if you sell real estate, I mean, you're constantly dealing with people that are in transition, that are moving into a new home, sometimes a new city. And it may be a cue that a door may open up for you to talk about your faith. Remember, you don't have to explain things. You don't have to get, I mean, but maybe God would open up a door to say, hey, why don't you come and experience? There's a, there's a, a church that's been helpful to me in my journey. You may want to come check that out. Or if there's another natural way for you to bring up your faith, where you're just willing to talk about it. So is there anybody that comes to mind in your life as we kind of leave the church and go back into our lives that God may have strategically placed you, they're, they're just not settled. Again, maybe you wanna write a name down or write some initials down. Could be something that God's put in your life. Now, here's where I know there are a few of you that are here and someone invited you to church this weekend and uh, you came with them and you're thinking, which category did they have me pegged me in? Either I'm not settled or things aren't going well for me. You know, what's, what's, up, what's up with that? There's a third one. There's a third cue that God may uh, be at work in somebody's life. And if you'll tie that third knot, uh, it's simply the cue is they're just not in church. They're not in church. 
there are a lot of people around us that simply are not in church. You know, when we planted Seacoast 26 years ago, there were 22,000 people that lived in Mount Pleasant, which is where the campus that I'm in right now is located. Uh, do you know that uh, the church has grown uh, by a, a large number? We've got anywhere from 12 to 14,000 people that attend every weekend and upwards of 20,000 people that attend on Easter's and Christmases. And, but here's the reality. He, just in Mount Pleasant, and I know this is reflected in the communities that you're in as well, uh, it's grown since we started. There, now there are currently about 70,000 people that live in the Mount Pleasant area. And there are more people in Mount Pleasant that don't go to church today than there were the day that we planted Seacoast Church. There are a lot of people around us that simply just aren't in church. Look what happened with this woman at the well. Once uh, she had this conversation with Jesus and he talked to her about living water and she realized who he was and she tasted of that living water and it changed her life. Says so she left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man, see those words again, come and see, who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. She immediately went from having experience with God to going and talking to people. Who were they? Were things not going well? We don't know anything about them except that they had not had the same experience that she had had. And you know, here at Seacoast, many of us, our lives have been changed and we're surrounded every day by people who haven't had that experience. Maybe God has placed you on purpose in their lives, not to be weird, not to convince them, not to manipulate them, into, but to share about the goodness and the great news of the things that God's done in your life. I love what happened with these guys in John 4, 42. It says, uh, after they came and saw for themselves, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. What an incredible experience for her to not only experience Christ, but then to see an entire community because of a simple invitation, go, now we know for ourselves. Now we've experienced it ourselves. As we close, I wanna tell a story of a, a friend of mine, his name's Jerry, uh, and he's here during this service. But Jerry has been uh, coming to church for a long time, and he's been inviting people uh, to church with him for a long, long time, and just kind of notice it. He'll often, he'll introduce me to somebody, and sometimes he'll say, hey, I got a, a new one with me today. Don't mess it up, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, but, but Jerry has just had a really cool experience with one of, the, one of the guys that he invited, and I wanted them to tell their story. So take a look at the screen. My name is Jerry McIntyre, and I am an employee at the Citadel since uh, January of 1993. I was not a Christian when I came to work here, but I, <laughs> I um, became a Christian a few years later. At that time, I realized why I was put here at the Citadel. And um, I knew then that I needed to get cadets involved with Seacoast Church. One day I was standing out in front of the Mark Clark Hall and this young boy walked up to me who is now a regimental uh, religious officer here at the Citadel. And um, he went with church with me that day and uh, he got baptized that same day. My name's Jason Pinnell. Uh, I'm a senior here at the Citadel. Right behind this camera is Mark Clark Hall. I walked over there and Jerry was taking guys to church. And, and so he asked me, he said, hey, I've got a group of people going to church, do you want to go? And I got, I got baptized that day. The biggest 
And the craziest thing about it was, you know, it all, it all started because of something so simple. It started by you know, a gentleman who drives, drives people back and forth from the hospital stopping me on the sidewalk saying, hey, do you want to go to church? Something so simple, it changed my life forever. Um, I will never be the same. What's absolutely incredible is I was going to be a Marine officer before, <laughs> before I went to Seacoast. And at this point, I'm going to seminary and becoming a chaplain in the United States Navy that has the opportunity to minister to both Marines and sailors and their families. And that's, God's blessed me in innumerable ways. And I just pray that I'm able to be his hands and feet. Come on, isn't that cool? You know, we intentionally kind of told that story without a whole lot of flash because it's really not all that flashy. You don't have to, uh, what, what I love about it, uh, Jerry is just a, a normal guy. Uh, Jerry's an incredible guy, but just a normal, he's not a, a teacher, he's not a preacher, he's not an evangelist, he's just a guy, and I love what he said. I realize now why God put me at the Citadel, that he, he recognizes that he's a man who is on mission to just pay attention. He happens to be in a place where there are a lot of people that are in transition, uh, but, but my favorite part of the story is uh, not so much that Jason got saved. I love you, Jason, and we've had lunch a couple times, and he's, he's awesome, uh, but what's happened since then? Uh, see, just a couple weeks ago, uh, Jason and Jerry uh, and I had the opportunity to, to go out to the beach. I'll show you a picture. Uh, this is Jerry and Jason, and that's two other cadets who are here who got baptized two weeks ago uh, who've been coming since uh, because Jason has reached out to them. And, and so what's cool is we were baptizing, Jason and I were baptizing these guys, and normally I, I love to just look at the face of the people who are coming out of the water because you can see like new life and new excitement, and that was certainly the case with these guys, but I also happen to notice Jerry just standing back in the surf, taking pictures, and the smile that was on his face, and the joy that was in his eyes, because when you experience someone's life being changed because of a simple invitation, a simple come and see, there's no greater feeling uh, as a Christ follower, as a believer, than, than to be able to experience and to partner with God in that journey. So church, let's be a church that cares about those who will be, uh, there are a lot of Citadel cadets that are a part of our church family right now because someone three or four years ago just invited somebody. You never know what the power of a simple invitation to somebody to come and see and experience what God's done in your life. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for uh, just a testimony of, of Jason and Jerry. And thank you for uh, the fact that that story has been replayed over and over and over again in this church. I thank you for the many people uh, who uh, have been willing to reach out and to invite. God, I thank you especially for the people that did that for me. Lord, the people that invited me to a small group when I was a freshman in college so that I could have an experience with you that nobody can ever take away from me. Nobody can ever argue uh, me out of that experience. You touched and got a hold of my heart. And I thank you that you've done that for so many of us that are here today. Lord, help us be a, a people that just cares, that's hearts are burdened for the people that your hearts are burdened for. Lord, that we love and care about the people who will be, about the stories that have been yet to be told of your love transforming people's lives. Help us to see, to pay attention, to be aware of the cues of where you're at work. In Jesus' name, amen.